0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996.
1: Welcome back. We're gonna go around and say our names. I'll start on tour. Shantanu. My name is Michael. Jason. My name is Jay. Farouk. My name is Cass. My name is Mark. Mark. David. My name is Christian. My name is Rich. <laughs> and my name is Tony. Jack. I'm Larry. My name is Ray. I'm Ed. Juan. Jeff. David. My name is Jerry. Jim. Mark. Ariana. J. Lee. My name is Joe. I'm Jim. Ray. Peter. I'm Hal. My name is Paul. My name is Stephen. <laughs> I am Simon <somebody>. I'm Brad.
2: And <coughs> I asked this before, but a few more people came in. So is anyone here for the first time or returning after a long absence? Oh, okay. Jerry and Jones is going to introduce our speaker. Yes, uh, this morning we're welcoming John Martin as our speaker. John Martin teaches Vipassana, Insight, Meta Loving Kindness, and lgbtqi theme meditation retreats. He leads an ongoing weekly Monday evening meditation group in the Castro, teaches both an advanced practitioner's program group and a dedicated practitioner's group, and is a co-guiding teacher for the LGBTQ queer sangha at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City. John serves on both the Spirit Rock Teachers Council and the Governing, Governing Teachers Council. He's had a dedicated practice while being engaged in the working world and emphasized practice for daily life. He completed the SRMC, IMS, IRC, four-year teacher training in 2016. <laughs> John served as hospice volunteer for many years, first for Shanti Project and more recently with Zen Hospice Project. Welcome,
1: John. Thank you. Let me do a sound check on my voice. <laughs> Am I loud enough? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one person, Jay, since I know you, if my voice drops and you don't hear me, just raise your hand up, okay? Thank sure. you. Jay and I were in Toastmasters together some years ago, so... <laughs> Great to be together with uh, Gay Buddhist Fellowship again. It's been some time uh, since I was here, and I really appreciate the long-term presence of Gay Buddhist Fellowship in the in the San Francisco community. Uh, today, I'd like to speak about wise intention or right intention. I use those terms interchangeably. It's a second path factor, second path factor on the Eightfold Path. Uh, leading to to freedom, to an unconditional freedom and happiness. And right intention has three elements. The element of letting go, of letting go of things needing to be different. The element of metta, or loving kindness. And the element of compassion. Uh, You can see the emphasis on the heart qualities. In my own practice, I really feel the, um, so much of this practice of present awareness is about opening up the heart, opening up the heart to release the heart from confusion.
0: Um,
1: to see the greatest peace and happiness is not so far away at all. It's really right here in any moment of clarity, in any moment of complete letting go little story on my own practice. I um, started practice in 2001 and uh, really practiced with my hair on fire. used every vacation day, every year, seven or eight weeks of uh, vacation time to go on retreats and did my sittings from home. Uh, But it was kind of disjointed in my life because I didn't bring the practice into my work life or kind of the rest of my life. I just had these times when I was very dedicated and then those times where I kind of forgot my practice. And I came back from a six-week retreat in 2007 at Insight Meditation Society. But a powerful retreat, and I felt like I just had to devote myself fully to this practice. thought I needed to drop out of the world. But I had a partner, uh, now my husband of 24 years, and uh, honestly, I liked my job, That I could do good things. So it wasn't in the cards for me to become a monk, <laughs> at least in this lifetime. Uh, so I decided to, that I had to bring the practice fully into my life. And uh, most of all, for me, that meant bringing wise intention. This, uh, intention for letting go, for kindness, compassion, into every aspect of my life and to cultivate mindfulness, present awareness, throughout the day. So of course the teachers, my teachers have been saying this all along but somehow I hadn't hadn't sunk in. But uh, it was a real turning point in my practice to uh, recognize that every moment of my life is a moment of practice to bring in this quality of wise intention more deeply and as a result bringing a lot more happiness into my life, into my practice at work. I think the people I worked with were a whole lot happier too. (laughs) So, wise intention, right intention recognizes that before every single action there is an intention. We rarely catch this, but there's an intention before every action. Mm. So this morning, you had an intention to be here, to, to get here. So you had the intention to take transit or walk or drive to get here. And there was the action of the transportation that got you here. There's a the present intention of listening. So there's an intention before every action. So if we cultivate intentions rooted in letting go and kindness and caring, rather than, rather than intentions rooted in needing or wanting, or intentions of ill will, hatred. And we are cultivating intentions that result in actions that are non-harming. Actions that you could say are in harmony with our own hearts, in harmony with other beings, in harmony with society. Because we're in the world in a peaceful Non-harming, kind way, and uh, it also uh, connects to to right view, right view and right intention are the two wisdom path factors. At the most basic level, right view recognizes that actions have consequences without exception. Every action has a consequence, even though we rarely see exactly what the consequence is, but But we know if we yell at somebody, for instance, if we get really angry, we're going to feel the consequence. We're going to perhaps yell back at us, or we're going to feel rattled and unhappy afterwards. We kind of know this, that that actions have consequences. It's a law of karma that uh, Ruth Dennison describes as um, karma. Uh, Karma means there's no getting away with nothing. And she added, darling, there's no getting away with nothing, darling. <laughs> That's a great reminder. There really is no getting away with nothing. So, and then as we cultivate both right view, recognizing that actions have consequences, cultivate right intention, we begin to see and know things more clearly begin to see what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering. That when we let go of being in contention with the present moment, when we accept the present moment just as it is, peace is possible in that moment, no matter what the condition. If we're in contention with the present moment, if we're wanting or needing it to be different, we're adding this layer of suffering, it's really unnecessary. So on the path of practice we begin in small ways then in bigger ways to have these moments of recognition more and more that the happiness comes forward that is not dependent on perfect health, on finances, on relationships, even on, even on the politics of our country. Mm-hmm. We may still recognize the need to speak up and take action, to speak against injustice, to speak the truth. But the very present moment, this very moment can't be any different than it is. And when we accept that, we come into this greater sense of peace, ease, contentment in our lives. So I'd like to tell a story about this, I think it's a very inspiring story about wise intention. Intention of letting go, intention of kindness, intention of compassion. I think of it as a story for our time, even though it's a story that happened uh, about 2400 years ago, about 250 years after the time of the Buddha. So, uh, this is the story of King Asoka and a nameless monk. King Asoka ruled for 30 years in a kingdom in northern India. And uh, the first years of his time as king, first ten years or so, he was known as a very brutal king at war with the neighboring kingdoms and unkind to his people. And uh, checking on Wikipedia, if it's accurate, And uh, I learned that he deported 200,000 people from his own kingdom. So even at that time, deportations. 150,000 people killed in battles. Uh, So very brutal. After one particularly brutal battle, all the carnage on the battlefield, the king was there and he saw a monk who was perfectly serene and at peace walking across the battlefield. And the king was moved to ask him how it came to be that he could be so peaceful, even in those conditions. And the monk shared the Buddha's precious teachings. And I like to reflect what that monk might have done had he been caught up in wanting and needing, caught up in ill will, uh, controlled by the forces of what are called greed, aversion, and delusion, the defilements. So the monk can easily imagine, might have walked toward what is pleasant, maybe to the forest on the side, and just avoided seeing that. I can identify with doing that many times in my life, seeing something unpleasant, kind of walked the other direction to avoid it. But he continued on his path, kind of unfazed by what he was seeing. He's no doubt feeling compassion for the suffering, but fundamentally accepting the present condition as it was. He could have act, reacted with aversion, ill will, hatred toward the king. He could have gotten angry justifiably toward the king and said, look what you've done. How could <coughs> you have caused this war that killed all these people? And just shut the king off right there so that there would be no conversation. I've certainly done that before. <laughs> Human conditions react that way. But the monk responded with kindness. He was kind to the king even though he recognized the king had caused that suffering. The monk m- might have been controlled by delusion, basically just not seeing clearly what was in front of him. Or the force of delusion might have caused him to just ignore the king, pretend like he didn't even hear the king's words and walk right by. Again, I've caught myself doing this, the kind of delu- delusion sometimes when a homeless person speaks to me, I walk right by without making eye contact, and sometimes I recognize the pain of that when I haven't made the eye contact, but um, this force of delusion that, that causes us to walk right by human suffering. So the monk acted from compassion. He saw that even that king who had caused all that harm was suffering and shared the Buddha's teachings as an act of compassion. The beautiful part of his story is that the king became a practitioner and he became known as a kind and benevolent king at peace with the neighboring kingdoms, kind to his own people. His son and daughter became practitioners and they carried the practice to Sri Lanka and then to Burma, what's now Myanmar. So for those who are practicing insight meditation, as I do, We can trace our practice right back to that nameless monk practicing kindness and compassion and sharing the Buddha's teachings with that king. One kind, generous action carrying forward over these 2,400 years. So I am hopeful that in in this time there will be someone who will have that same impact (laughs) on on the leader in our country. (laughs) Uh, we practice with wise intention every time we practice meditation you may not know this but it's wise intention we, we let go when we practice meditation when we sit we have the intention of letting go of the past letting go, thinking about what's happened in the past letting go, of thinking about our plans for the rest of the day the intention just to be present to be kind to ourselves as we sit, to invite kindness and ease, sense of relaxation in the body. And we can forget this one, but it's very useful to have the intention of compassion, to have the intention of calling forth compassion when we feel physical discomfort in the body when we're sitting, when a difficult emotion of anger, grief or sadness is coming up, to have the intention to recognize the suffering that's present. That simple recognition of the suffering is an act of compassion. So when we, when we sit, we're really cultivating and bringing forth uh, wise intention. And this presence, this presence that we bring forth in our meditation and then in our lives when we practice present awareness, could really think of that practice of presence as a gift of love. It's a gift of love, of kindness, when we're fully present for ourselves, fully present for loved ones, just fully present walking down the street. Heart can really open up to make the human connection, to to be more fully alive to what's right in front of us, rather than caught up in the past or the future, thinking about what might have been or what might be. And with this we begin to find a greater capacity of, of our hearts to be present for suffering, to open up, to allow the heart to, to purify. I like to think that if there's anything blocking the heart, if there's anything blocking the heart whatsoever, any freedom is incomplete. The practice really calls for the heart to open entirely to everything, everything in our human experience. A quote from Sharon Salzberg from her book on uh, loving kindness. A mind with love can be likened to the sky with a variety of clouds moving through it, some light and fluffy, others ominous and threatening. No matter what the situation, the sky is not affected by the clouds. like that muck, serenity. It was not disturbed by that battlefield. I'll say a little bit more about each of these three elements of uh, wise intention. and I want to make sure there's time for questions and comments, too. With always a rich <coughs> discussion uh, with this group. So renunciation. Renunciation. Letting go. It's most of all letting go of the forces of greed, aversion, delusion. Just meaning letting go of wanting what is pleasant pleasurable, wanting to push away what's unpleasant, painful, just letting go to accept the present circumstances as they are. Many teachers say the whole of the path can be understood as one of deeper and deeper letting go. And with a deeper and deeper letting go, there's greater happiness. I think of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who has so deeply let go, you know, that he lost his own country and yet he's this figure of compassion and kindness for the entire world. Clearly, his fundamental happiness and peace is not disturbed even by the loss of his own country. A great expression of this is that he describes a senior Chinese government officials who, who took the country of Tibet as he describes them as, my friends, the enemy. <laughs> kind of inspiring to think of we could think of all the difficult uh, people in our lives as being my friends, the difficult person <laughs> so another quote from Ajahn Cha, I've um, been reading a beautiful biography on uh, Ajahn Cha, I never thought I'd be reading a 700-page biography on a monk, but uh, it's an inspiring book. I think the title is uh, Stillness Flowing. Great book. But from Ajahn Chah, Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still like a clear forest pool. You will see many wonderful and strange things come and go, but you will be still. Problems will arise and you will see through (coughs) them immediately. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Our practice as we let go is to open to everything, to open to all of the joys and the sorrows of our life, and to also open to all of the difficult stories and emotions as well. In my own practice, my personality type is a deluded type. And so my own practice is uh, I can tend to skip over When anger or fear arises, just kind of cloud over and not see it, not be present for it. But the call of practice is to be present for all of it. So it's a continuing practice for me to catch that moment when the mind shifts to delusion, moves away from the emotion that's present, and turn back toward it. Sometimes just letting the light of awareness shine on the emotion we can see it's ephemeral and permanent nature, maybe the fear just arises and passes. But sometimes it's really, we're really called upon to go into it more fully, to feel the fear, the anger in the body. Nothing wrong with feeling fear and anger. It's a call of practice. We, we have the aim of the intention of not acting and speaking out of anger and, and hatred. But nothing wrong with the feeling. It supports the purification of the heart. So a great quote from uh Thich Nhat Han. I'm working with the emotion, of, the emotion of anger, but you could replace this with fear or sadness or grief or jealousy, any, any afflictive emotion. So it's a it's a bit of a long quote, but a really beautiful quote. The Buddhist attitude is to take care of anger. We don't suppress it. We don't run away from it. We just breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. I like to think of it just like holding a baby, just arms outstretched. Then the anger is no longer alone. It is with your mindfulness. Anger is like a closed flower in the morning. As the sun shines on the flower, the flower will bloom because the sunlight penetrated deep into the flower. If you keep breathing, Mindfulness particles will infiltrate the anger. When sunshine penetrates a flower, the flower cannot resist. It is bound to open itself and reveal its heart to the sun. We're trusting the practice. We're trusting the heart to do the work or the heart to open, for the flower to open. When we practice letting go too, we make room for the beautiful qualities of the heart to come forth. When we're not caught up in wanting or needing things to be a particular way, we can still have plans and goals in life that we can let go around the outcomes, kind of really open to possibility. It can be a real quality of a sense of enoughness in our own lives, a sense of not needing anything more. Even if we don't have riches or have perfect health, can still open to this beautiful quality of this is enough to be happy, just this. And the heart can really open to generosity, this beautiful quality of generosity that just springs forth so naturally when we're not caught up in needing. Or the beautiful quality of gratitude for whatever we might have. Just the simple things we have in our life that's so opens the heart to joy, to reflect on, on gratitude. Our compassion, our empathetic joy, the supportive joy that recognizes the happiness of others, wishes it to continue. All of these beautiful qualities come forth when we're not caught up in needing and wanting. Letting go. I just love those words, letting go, right at the heart of a practice, letting go. And the next element is loving kindness or metta, this quality of goodwill, friendliness, benevolence. Uh, it's not dependent on anybody else's behavior. It's just this basic wish for safety, happiness, health, and ease, recognizing all beings want this. And the Buddha's teaching was that it begins with oneself, loving kindness for oneself. I like to invite, when I guide meditations, to always set the intention for loving awareness, for kind awareness. Uh, This is following the Buddha's instructions. I recently read a quote uh, from the Buddha, it was a quote um, in one of the books by Analio, in which the Buddha ranks four categories of individuals based on the level of caring. I was really surprised by this. I probably shouldn't have been, but ranks the lowest category is a being who cares for the, does not care for themselves and does not care for others. Makes sense. The lowest category. Next is one who cares for others but not themselves. And the next highest ranking above that is one who cares for themselves but not others. Interesting. And then, of course, the highest is one who cares for both themselves and for others. I think it, it's uh, it's consistent with the Buddhist teachings on loving kindness. The practice begins right here. No one is more deserving of our love and affection than we are ourselves. I really got it in my uh, hospice volunteer work. I was often, at the beginning, going to the hospice volunteer work feeling like I wasn't worthy. I wasn't worthy to be doing that volunteer work and um, I finally started in the meditation sittings when I would arrive at the hospice center saying metta for myself and it was a way of entering into being a volunteer starting with kindness for myself following the buddha's teachings. Then I found I was actually able to be more fully present for the residents and the family members, residents who were dying by starting with kindness for myself. When we're kind to ourselves in this way, then we can bring more kindness more naturally to the rest of the world. If we're caught up in self-hatred, self-judgment, it can be quite a bit more difficult to open our hearts to kindness to others. When I decided in 2007 to really bring the practice into the workplace, I I had the intention, I'm going to check the intention before every phone call and every meeting and make sure my intention is kindness. Maybe once or twice a day, maybe once or twice a week sometimes, I would actually remember to to check it. But the more I remembered, I would maybe remember at the end of the day, maybe remember when I woke up in the morning, It just started to create grooves in the heart and mind, so it started to come forth more naturally. This is so much of a part of our practice. We're just kind of rewiring our neurology to bring these beautiful qualities uh, forth more naturally. But it is quite a challenge in our uh, difficult time we live in in our country to to really stick with this intention of loving-kindness and goodwill when there's so much hatred in our country and uh, it's, it's an edge of my own practice to be with that sense of both acceptance of the present moment being as it is, being kind to myself, kind to others, and then speaking strongly, taking actions rooted from that place of acceptance but also understanding that things need to change, action needs to be taken. Recognizing the deep roots of suffering and confusion of others can be really helpful. Quote from James Baldwin One of the reasons that people cling to their hate and prejudice so stubbornly is because they sense that once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with their own pain. I really see this in our society. The way kind of greed and hatred has been licensed, has been empowered and to recognize that the deep, deep pain that underlies that. So, another quote that now keep going back to those last couple of years is from Martin Luther King, that we will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. Do to us what you will, and we will continue to love you. The intention to love every being, even when they're acting from, their plate, from a place of such sickness and, and hatred. And the beautiful quality about love is that love just loves. Sometimes love is described as standing in opposition to hatred, but really love just loves. Love becomes the cure, like the cure, the antidote for hatred. And if we, when we really deeply cultivate love, deeply cultivate acceptance, this is when we really become lights in the world and we can have impacts, maybe like that muck in northern India 2,400 years ago. We don't know what impacts we might have through our simple acts of kindness. So there's a new world leader, a new leader in the world that I hope will be a great Leader, a young leader in uh, Ethiopia. Anybody heard of him, Abiy Ahmed? So Abiy Ahmed was just elected this year, and he uh, was—he has a PhD in peace. (laughs) (laughs) His mother's Christian, his father's Muslim. Um, His campaign theme was "Love Wins." Mm. And uh, Ethiopia had some very <coughs> anti-LGBTQI laws that he immediately, on being elected, called in the legislature to uh, do away with those laws. I don't know whether they've all been done away with yet. He released a political uh, party, the enemies from the other political party from prison after he was elected, he invited them to his house for dinner, kind of in the same vein as the way Nelson Mandela uh, acted after... Taking leadership of South Africa, so inspiring to know that there are leaders in the world, uh, like that. Hopefully, more coming forth. Maybe more coming forth on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I just read in the New York Times today there's 26 LGBTQI candidates running for Congress and Senate um, this year, and I think over 2 230 POC candidates um, for House and Senate seats. So great news and then the third the third element is compassion uh, third element of compassion compassion being defined as a spontaneous response of the heart to suffering and the wish for it to end kind of a quivering of the heart and compassion to really emphasize bringing this forth in practice both on the cushion daily life like the, the simplest recognition of just ah, I'm suffering No, it just shifts things, provides some space, opens the heart up a little bit. When we're caught up in a story, maybe feeling anger or sadness, just, ah, I'm suffering. Maybe you can can even connect with that feeling now. Uh, My teacher, uh, Sylvia Borstein, who's spoken here a couple times, my my first time here was when Sylvia uh, spoke here probably in 2005. He was my teacher for many years, and uh, Sylvia uh, says that she says to herself when she's practicing meditation, and she, her mind gets, and in her daily life, when her mind gets caught up in something, she says to to herself, "Sweetie, you're <laughs> suffering. Relax. Take a breath." <laughs> you could try out your own version of that. <laughs> Uh, I want to try and wrap up so there's time for questions. A quote from His Holiness the Dalai Lama on Compassion. A mind committed to compassion is like an overflowing reservoir, a constant source of energy, determination, and kindness. This mind can be likened to a seed. When cultivated, it gives rise to many other qualities such as forgiveness, tolerance, inner strength, and the confidence to overcome fear and insecurity. Just a little story on compassion. I recently um, saw a friend who lives in another part of the country, but just ran across him on the street and uh, asked how he was doing. And He said he'd just seen the doctor and the doctor said he was doing well, which, was, of course, raised concern for me. What, well, why were you at the doctor? Did, was there something, something going on? And he said, "Well, I just donated a kidney to a friend who was otherwise going to die if he didn't have a kidney transplant. That's a great act of compassion and generosity." And uh, my friend who donated the kidney is a practitioner, and he told me how he had been reflecting on the uh, Buddha's instructions on contemplation of death because he had a lot of fear and insecurity going into the into the surgery, and. Um, that that gave him strength. So he, uh, it's consistent with the Buddha's teaching that that compassion gives rise, I mean, sorry, His, His Holiness, Dalai Lama's instructions on compassion. Compassion gives rise to confidence to overcome fear and insecurity. And of this greater capacity of the heart to act from a place of compassion than we might have ever thought possible. So, just to end in saying that uh, this is a path of happiness and joy. I was recently on a short uh, teacher retreat with Analio, and he really emphasized this: that this is a practice that leads to a greater and greater joy and happiness. We're called upon and practiced to open to suffering, the first noble truth. But as we practice with these beautiful qualities of right intention, of letting go, of kindness, compassion, we begin to see that we don't need to shoot kind of what the Buddha referred to as a second arrow. When we are in contention with the present experience, when we cling to wanting or needing things to be different, then we really suffer. And any moment that we let go we let go entirely of needing anything to be different, let go of clinging, there's a moment of peace. It's that close, it's that immediate, the peace that we're looking for is that immediate. And the tool of mindfulness, of present awareness that allows us to see when we're caught, caught in reactivity, and just in a moment of connecting to the heart, of letting go with kindness, compassion can open a great peace. And the more and more we practice in this way, the more we kind of recondition our hearts and minds to recognize what leads to this greater happiness. And close from a quote from Bishop Desmond Tutu from the the Book of Joy, that, that beautiful book um, and the meeting between a uh, meeting between His Holiness the Dalai Lama and uh, Desmond Tutu. We are meant to live in joy. This does not mean that life will be easy or painless. It means that we can turn our faces to the wind and accept that this is a storm we must pass through. We cannot succeed by denying what exists. The acceptance of reality is the only place from which change can begin. uh, Thank you for your attention. Thank you keep your practice and presence in the world. It's uh, maybe a, a great gift for others in a way you may not even know about. So, I wanted to have more time, but I think we have seven, seven minutes we or so. We have about five minutes. five, mm-hmm. five minutes? Mm-hmm. Questions, comments? Yes. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about cultivating um,
2: what you said, my friend and me. Mm hmm. I I have a hard time in the world because there's such a strong division between what we like and what we don't like. It would be a great support (laughs) to have that (laughs) capacity.
1: It it may not be possible or realistic to to think that, uh, that you could right now say say about certain leaders in the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that person is my friend, the enemy, or my friend, the difficult person. But the, the kind of the opening is to begin to recognize that all beings, no matter how confused and kind of how sick they may be, because ultimately hatred is an illness, hatred is a sickness that all beings fundamentally want safety, happiness, health, and ease. All beings, even those beings who are causing great harm. And just to make that connection is some connection, some human connection to make. Um, when I teach metta retreats for 10 days, and then we will spend a day working with a difficult person, and we'll say, metta all day for a difficult person. Uh, person. Sometimes it does shift the attitude a, a little bit. We usually recommend, I usually recommend starting with a not so difficult person, but people have the tendency to go right to the White House. <laughs> uh, it's a good practice to try out. You know, maybe it's someone, you know, a neighbor, a family member who just triggers you a little bit. Um, it's just a difficult interaction. And to to um, try out uh, offering kindness to them, maybe just to recognize they were they were once a baby too. They they were born. They grew up. They have people who care about them that they that they care about. That they too want safety, happiness, health, and ease. And just allow some sense of connection and kindness to to come forth in that way. Um, that's kind of a Some sense of experimentation to it. Yes. I liked your comment about staying in the present. I was having an argument with my brother, (laughs) who is uh, uh,
2: of a different political belief than I am, (laughs) and uh, it got very, very, very loud for about a minute, and
1: um, I, uh, I didn't. Think consciously, but I caught it and I stopped and I said, Well, we just have to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And there was a pause, and then my brother came back so gently, I was just shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think he was glad to
2: be shaken out of the, be, sh- be shaken into an awareness mm-hmm. that we were really at yeah. a uh, uh, stand. We were both trying to convince each other uh, mm-hmm. of something that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in hindsight, that's what
1: I figured out uh, it was my intention. Yeah. That was utterly foolish. So anyway, I wasn't thinking all that. I just stopped. It was just so cool to be
2: aware of being in a real negative moment and stop. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. It's like the the presence being the gift of love. You were present and you could just say, we agree to disagree. And it it was like that presence that you offered, clarity you offered, that was like a gift to him as an act of love. uh, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Such a, a deep listening with practice that, uh, that we do where we can listen so deeply with, with our hearts to others. I was just thinking of a quote from Mother Teresa that uh, a reporter asked her, what do you do when you pray? And she said, I listen. Mm-hmm. And the reporter said, what does God say? Mm-hmm. God listens. And then Mother Teresa said, and if you don't understand that, don't ask any more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
2: out there. I'll be coming around with a don bowl. Um, I am unavoidable. Um, <laughs> there is a, a roster to sign if you want to be on our mailing list on the on the wooden long wooden surface over here. Uh, there's hot water for tea, and um, just leave your cup in the sink and I will take care of it. Quickly, uh, guys who want to have lunch. Uh, gather around the door around 12.30 and go out locally. Anyone is welcome? And I believe that's it. Please stay and enjoy the fellowship of the community.
1: Anyone else? We gather in a circle? For the okay. Next
2: week, uh, our oh, speaker sorry. is going to be Dana Dasa Chan, who's been here before. He's going to be doing a two-week talk on the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, Donna Das has been practicing with the San Francisco Buddhist Center, which is this place, since 1993, and was ordained in 2011. His current area of exploration is the cultivation of the metta as a response to all the hatred, discrimination, and bigotry in the world out there. Sounds quite appropriate for me <laughs> And uh, through personal anecdotes, experiential exercises, Donna Das will explore relation to ourselves and to others. Thank you, Now, can mm-hmm. yeah, we gather a
1: By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the
2: causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much
1: aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast Like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.